Hello, and welcome to Inquiries. You may be asking yourself, what is this podcast about? Well, Inquiries are questions. We're asking questions about how facets of libraries and queer community intersect, but make it gay. We are your humble guides. I am Shannon Prukop, a librarian at Forest Hills Library. My pronouns are she, they. I am Michael Dunbar-Rodney. I'm a librarian at the Cody Branch Library. My pronouns are he, him. I'm Dakri Lambert. I am a librarian at the Schaefer Library, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm Lisa Pouchot. My pronouns are she, her, Aya, and I am a librarian at Great Northwest. Today, we're talking about why representation matters with Shelby Criswell. Hello. My name's Shelby. I'm they, them. Um, I'm an illustrator and comic maker here, in, born and raised in San Antonio, and I'm happy to be here. We're happy to have you. This is very exciting. So, uh, as a first question, I feel like we should start with something really ridiculous, um, which is, explain what you do in 100 words or less. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. why are you going to count? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I, I don't have that many fingers. <laughs> do an elevator pitch. Oh, oh no, that's yeah. even worse. <laughs> don't leave out the banjo. Okay, okay. Um, in terms of comics, what I do, or? Anything. Anything, and- okay. Um, well... First off, I work free as a freelance illustrator and graphic designer. Um, I do stuff for wine clubs in California, which is really strange. I just sort of fell into that. I'm already probably going over 100 words. Um, and then I make comics on the side, um, which is what I would prefer to do all the time. But here I am doing it. <laughs> and we're at the library talking about my book, which is cool. So... You didn't include the banjo, though. Oh, yeah, and I play the banjo. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so, not listening. So the reason why that question is ridiculous is because none of us would be able to make it in 100 words. Absolutely not. <laughs> not even once. Twitter is a struggle. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. So um, one of the questions that we want to ask all of the creators that we're going to have on the podcast is, what does queer joy mean to you? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I think queer joy to me just means being able to live your life as a queer or trans person and not, um, you know, not get too bogged down by people who don't see that as valid or, and then finding community with other, you know, queer and trans people. I think that's where the best source of joy for me is. That's fair. There's no wrong answer to this. So. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> So, out of curiosity, what are what are uh, some of my fellow librarians' actually definition of queer joy? I didn't I didn't come here to answer questions. I uh-huh. came here to ask questions. <laughs> oh, oh, fine. You call yourself reference services. <laughs> <laughs> Do I though? Um, that's a. I'm going to pitch it to you then, since you wanted to know what what does queer joy mean to you? Okay. Socratic method. Okay, I'm yeah. digging it. Um, for me, queer joy is uh, it. It is very similar to what Shelby said: being able to live your authentic self freely and and without fear or concern. Um, but for me, queer joy is also be a, being able to find one's community, um, being able to surround yourself with uh, people who support you, who celebrate you, um, whether they're queer or not. Uh, although majority of my friends are queer so <laughs> here we are for that um because uh i feel yeah that's the community is uh as important as uh 
uh, it's my own individual uh, uh, progress and process. I'm a people person. <laughs> You're the right field then. So then, Dakery? Mm, I mean, I think I'm going to have to echo both of their sentiments of just community. I think that it's changed the way community looks for me as I've um, grown up a little bit. Um, of course, friends are important, but for me, queer joy right now looks like being with my wife and our babies and having a family. Um yeah, I don't I I think that that's where a lot of my my focus is right now in community is just being able to have a family and be happy in that and successful in raising a teenager and a toddler. Like the hardest <laughs> modes at the same time. What about you, Lisa? I've been I wasn't prepared for this question, but that's okay. I was thinking about it as you guys were talking. Um actually had a dream about my dad last night and it I woke up crying thinking like wow I haven't heard his voice or seen his face so when I think about queer joy I think about him and it just makes me feel so happy to be a part of this and I know he would love it and I just that's what I think of I think of community and sharing this space together we didn't ask for thoughtful responses. I, look, I don't need to cry this morning. Hey, you know, I'm here for you. I, I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> and I guess I have to answer now. I've stalled long enough. Uh, for It's funny. I think it's very funny. We'll get to that. Um, but for me, queer joy is a lot about the freedom to express myself, um, to just be as fully weird as whatever my gender is and not be treated differently for it, to be accepted for it, to just exist uh, safely and definitely community is part of it. And I think that's what, what was funny is that we all answered something about community that says a lot about being a marginalized identity is that we all look for safe spaces, which is generally other people. Absolutely. And um, going along with the uh, community thread, one of the videos I watched in my deep dive, Shelby, <laughs> of your work and some interviews I was able to find through YouTube. Uh, you share about your most recently published piece of work, which is Queer As All Get Out, which you can check out from our library. And you said that in writing that piece of work and illustrating it, that in researching those folks that you included, those 10 folks that doing so made you feel less alone, and so I was hoping that you could talk a little bit about that. For sure. Um, yeah, a lot of the people I found online, just like through my research or like in books, um, kind of just helped me see that, you know, we've always sort of been here and, and it's nice to know that, you know, you know, we've always been here. And when I was a kid, I felt like the only person who was gay, and even though I knew the other you know, queer people at school, but we never came out to each other like in middle school, you know. Um, so it was nice to see that, you know, there are people who were also probably felt the same way that I did or, you know, we were kind of hiding and but you're able to find community in some way. So and, and in a sense, I've found community through just, you know, like queer history and 
Yeah. There's definitely something really gratifying is not the right word. Um, Validating? Yeah. Cool about like that you can you can look back and humanity hasn't changed that much in thousands of years. We are as dumb and ridiculous as we have always been. Um, <laughs> and we have always been gay. So it's like, it's all there. Hmm. I'm slightly related to it. I don't, has everyone seen the show Fleabag? No. No, that's... I know no. of it, but it scares me. First of all, you should absolutely watch it. It's wonderful. <laughs> but there's this one line from it that um, always, like, always resonates with me and my friends it's like one of the characters says you know people are all we've got sometimes that seems very uplifting other times it seems a little scary but (laughs) either way it's like i find i feel that resonates it's uh it's kind of like you said we we look for our home in other people we always strive to find the people that you know we feel reflect and validate us oh So, um, Shelby, I know you said you're from San Antonio, but you did live in New Mexico for quite some time. Yeah, I went to college in New Mexico. Um, I didn't finish college, but I studied uh, studio art in Santa Fe. Nice. Do you feel like there? (laughs) Do you feel like there was a difference um, between your experience there and here? Um. A little bit. I mean, San Antonio and Santa Fe both are pretty, like, kind of artsy towns, and there's a lot of, like, Spanish and Mexican culture, and there's a lot of, there's also a fiesta in Santa Fe, which I didn't know until I went there. It has totally different origins, but, um, you know, a lot of people don't like that there either, and they don't like fiesta here for certain reasons, too. And, um, I mean, there's lots of, there's lots more hippies in Santa Fe than there are here. Like old, old retired hippies, which is fun. Right on. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people go there to retire and I don't know why, but because it's really expensive. It's very expensive. Yeah. My wife and I went on our baby moon to Santa Fe and it was, it was beautiful, but oh, yeah. it was pricey. Yeah. No, that the best part was being able to just like, just drive into the mountains in like 20 minutes. Which, like, we can't really do here. I mean, we can go to the hills, but... (laughs) (laughs) Texas has... So, weird Texas fact. Texas has almost every geological um, feature in in its state. We have plains, we have seas, we have, like, mesas. We don't have mountains. It's our one failing. There's no mountains. Well, there's the Chisos Mountains if you want to go all the way to Big Bend. Uh, That's in Texas, but other than that... Okay, fair. But then you have to go all the way to Big Bend. But it's worth it. It is very pretty. Have you been to Big Bend? Uh, I went to West Texas over the summer, and I, it was very gorgeous, but I didn't get to go to Big Bend. Big Bend. Of course, you know, drive 20 minutes in, to Texas, and you're nowhere. <laughs> yeah, you're in San Antonio yeah, still. you're still in San Antonio. <laughs> um, to continue our uh, process of, you know, questions and going off on random tangents and questions. Um, I'm a little curious how you, uh, were comics something you always wanted to do? Is that why you did studio art or is that something you kind of fell into while doing freelance or going into freelance work? Uh, I've always kind of liked comics. I always did them when I was a kid. My very first comic, I talk about this in almost every podcast. Um, it was, uh, it was me and Limp Biscuit on a roller coaster, and that was the whole comic. I love um, it. I don't remember Perfect. what else happened. <laughs> yeah, I was a big Limp Biscuit fan when I was like seven, um, <laughs> which is embarrassing to admit. Uh, <laughs> no, 
uh, no, yeah, I always sort of did it just here and there, and I didn't think I could make a career out of it because I thought there was only superhero comics or, you know, things I I don't read. Um, they're valid, great comics, but not for me. Um, and I thought that was the only way to get into comics, and there wasn't as many, like, graphic novels or, like, independent stuff that there is now. Um, so I think just seeing it grow and like there's more zine culture and stuff um that i sort of just fell into zines and that it made me be like oh yeah i gotta do comics all the time that's actually i didn't mention this to y'all but i was wondering since i saw zines on your website i was like have you tabled at zine fests oh yeah yeah the san antonio one yeah and you've done a flyer for 2019 zine fest correct yes yeah the little frog i forgot about that Mm -hmm. i was thinking more of the like there's zine fests all over texas but there's like staple is one of my favorites um so. Yeah, which hasn't been around. I think they're. I think they're not going to do it anymore. I know they still have sad. social media, and they occasionally will be like, "Hey, support this other zine fest." And I'm like, "But what about you, though? Yeah, come I back, think, staple." I think the guy that runs it, he just doesn't want to do it anymore, or something, because it's so much work. It is. Yeah, I couldn't imagine putting on one like at the one at the library. Like I know the people that run it, and I couldn't even imagine putting that together. But yeah, I I do table at at them every once in a while. I haven't done one in a long time, but I do. I mean, the last couple of years have been a bit atypical for everybody. Yeah. So no worries. Yeah. The uh, before times. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, looking at your body of work, um, it, I one thing I do appreciate. I think you touched on this a little bit is that it differs from like the superhero type comics that I think when we think of like graphic novels and stuff. That is typically the default. Uh, I also do not like those types of comics and graphic novels. So I really appreciate that there's this other space for stories. And um, I'm a big fan of graphic memoirs. Uh, and I, I'm i wondering, like, what was the first graphic novel or comic that you saw that was outside of that stereotypical superhero story that made you feel like oh wow this is something that exists and this is something that i'm i'm into when i was in high school and sophomore year funny story side tangent my teacher that year my english teacher that year was jared padalecki's mother from from supernatural yeah very weird um and so she was really cool and she made us read things like mouse so i think that was the first Uh comic that i was like oh you can talk about like your life that's cool. Why didn't I think about that? And like, you can, you could still be a fun character. Yeah. So I think, I think that was the first one that I was like, oh, you could do history and you could do a memoir and still there's some sort of fantasy, you know, element to it. They lied. You can have it all. (laughs) (laughs) How dare they? So uh, I, in one of the other interviews I watched with you, um, you talked about I believe it was in reference to your most recent publication, um, using that as a platform to talk about living in a space where people aren't particularly kind to you. And I was curious if your queer identity, and I'm sure it does because I don't know how it wouldn't, how that impacts your work and what kind of influence that plays in the work that you create. Like in comics in general or just... I mean, everything, maybe even in banjo playing. I don't know what oh. you're doing with the banjo. Tucker really wants to know about your banjo playing. I do. <laughs> I should have just brought it. I don't know. <laughs> you should have. Now we know. <laughs> I ha- I've never met anyone who's played a banjo. I think it's very cool. Nice. Uh, yeah, I mean, 
specifically with comics, I always kind of either try to include uh, queer characters or, um, I mean, I love queer history, so like doing a book about it just sort of made sense. Uh, with my, my graphic novel, I didn't mean to make it a memoir. That just sort of happened with the publisher. They were like, why don't you talk about yourself? Because you're queer. And I was like, oh, duh. Um, so I think ever since then, I was, I'm always just kind of like, how can I make other queer people enjoy this? Because, you know, community, again, I want I want my people to to read it. Um, or even just like in, in teen graphic novels, I think it's important when there's at least just like one queer character and like they're just living their life. You know, I think just including those little things here and there is what I'd like to do. I know this is probably super inside baseball and the rest of you don't care, but I forgot which publisher you used. And I was wondering how that went, like publishing process. Did they approach you? Did you approach them? I got a agent through a friend who um, the agent pitched them to say, hey, I'd like to represent you. And they were busy at the time. And they said, oh, well, I have a friend. This is my friend from college. And they said, oh, my friend Shelby is you know, doing comics and pumping, pumping out a lot of comics and needs an agent. And so, uh, he approached me and I was like, Oh, uh, sure. Cause I had been looking up, like, how do you get an agent? I have no idea how that works. <laughs> it's still and, very confusing. and so even now I'm, I'm just like, I don't know. It just happened. <laughs> um, yeah. When people ask me, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> um, so he, we, yeah. So originally the book was only like, 10 bios of queer people, not my story at all. Um, and I had a few offers here and there and they were great offers, but the publishing companies were like kind of big and they didn't seem like they would take great care of the book. Um, and then street noise books is the one that published it. And Liz Francis uh, is the editor and owner. And she was the one who was like, well, you know, I'd really like to know about you because we do, we mostly focus on memoirs. Um, so if we could turn this into a memoir plus history, nonfiction, you know, that would be fantastic. And so I was like, and, she, and just on the phone when I was talking to her and I was pitching it to her, she sounded like a friend. And so I was like, this is the perfect publisher because, you know, it sounds like we're already friends. I would prefer a friend take care of it. And, it, you know, I didn't get, get a lot of money from it, but I don't care about money. I just wanted the book to be good. Definitely. And that's, it's wonderful that you were able to find a good home for the book. I feel like a lot of them just get churned out. Um, but it kind of reminded me of In Waves, because In Waves is similar. You have like that history of surfing, but also the story of his history with surfing. And I, I like that kind of dual narrative. Yeah. I just think it's neat. <laughs> that is that is valid. <laughs> you are valid, Jason. Am I? <laughs> Ab absolutely. Um, so... Uh, because I actually do genuinely ask this question to everyone um, uh, as, as a librarian who does try to do a lot of queer programming. Um, were you much of a reader as a kid and did you make use of the library? I mostly went to the library. The I think the Macrelis one, I think that's the one I used to go to, which Schaefer was not around when I was a kid. Um, and in that area. And I mostly went to burn CDs to my computer. <laughs> I would check Amazing. out the maximum amount of CDs and burn them to my computer. <laughs> I love it. What a moment in time. I miss that era. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I did, uh, I did check out a lot of like art books and like drawing books. Those are my favorite. So I mostly utilized it for that. But other and other than that, I didn't really like read much. 
Get out. <laughs> no, I do. I do a lot now. Yeah, I'm joking. It's okay. I'm joking. Don't worry. Not actually gonna. Not actually gonna throw you out. But man, burning CDs. Talk about talk about blast from the past. Yeah, you triggered like a really deep memory for me because I also did the same thing and I totally forgot about that until you brought it up. I always like, felt guilty too. But no, I did it anyway. Don't feel guilty. <laughs> Music's expensive. It is. And I'm sorry, I was not paying like 20 bucks for a CD where I wanted one song. Literally. Um, yeah. <laughs> I remember I found these CDs that you could burn that looked like LPs. They looked like records. Ooh, what? Um, yeah, they were so dope. I still have them. I still have my little book filled with burnt CDs. That's do, so Do you have sad. anything that plays them? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't. Right? That's so sad. Yeah, I have all mine too. And my, my car's like from 2021 it doesn't even have a cd player anymore yeah i actually just got this new record player that has a cassette tape that you can use and then the radio and bluetooth and you know what it might have a cd player i just haven't used it yet i've noticed that there are a lot of record players that do a little bit of everything and some will even like burn from one to the other which is really neat um but also cassettes have kind of come back which i am fascinated by just the the return of physical media but like very particular physical media like cassettes okay i think it kind of makes sense simply because if you like one one of my favorite memes which i feel is so true for people within our generation i really have no idea like how the generation things work is just like with phones <laughs> where it's like at first you know when you first got your phone it's like oh, i have a ringtone for everybody now it's like do not call me text me <laughs> don't call me <laughs> so if we're gonna confess about our youth <laughs> when I got my first cell phone, I themed the entire phone. Uh, it was all themed Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> because I loved the codec sound, the ring of the codec was my text alert. And it was so good. Eventually I grew out of that and I made it all Final Fantasy themed. <laughs> so I could have chocobos <laughs> working at me when my texts went off. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that, that I is am cringe, a, but I am free. That is a beautiful... <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. You can you can be your authentic self here, Shannon. You absolutely can. Oh man, that's fantastic. Um. So going back to comic books and books in general, um, I was thinking about the first queer comic book I read when I was a teenager, and I think it was called Bratz Bazaar, and there was only a few copies made, um, but. Uh, it just made me think of the lack of representation, representation. And then now there's just like Shen and I discuss, it's like coming out of our ears and it's just amazing that we can share these things now and have, um, artists like Shelby who are doing the work and it's all available. So is there any books, Shannon, that you remember when you were a kid that had that type of representation that had like actually queer characters or like queer coded characters uh. because that is different um actually i think the circle of magic series by um tamra pierce that oh, was yeah. probably the first one for me i i was the kid who read that series and not the one everyone else read the protector of the small oh yeah i never read that one yeah never read that one i read circle of magic the get the better series um because it has two monks for this one church church temple 
that they're raised in, like the kids, the main characters are raised in, uh, are very obviously in a relationship. They don't just live in the same building. Um, and then as the books went on, some of the kids, as they grew up, became like, it was like, oh, yeah, Dodger likes women. Oh, yeah, Triss doesn't want to touch anyone ever. Please don't ever interact with Triss. I love Triss. Uh <laughs> she is also my favorite. <laughs> we are in sync, Shannon. Yes. Yes. We could pilot a Jaeger. No. Uh <laughs> 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 Sorry. Um, but yeah, I think I think Circle of Magic was the first one for me. Um, what about you, Dakri? Mm. The first queer book I ever read, I actually still owned a copy of. Yeah. I must have been in like sixth grade, seventh grade, maybe. It was Boy Meets Boy. Um, it yeah, I I still have the same copy. I have it on the shelf at Schaefer. Also, it's amazing. I show all the teens when they come in. Um, and I, I think that this is a theme that we cover a lot in our small little group when we're talking about everyone having some tie to the library as a child. And then what that looks like oftentimes for queer people is seeing themselves for the first time in a story and how powerful that is. Uh, yeah. So I, I wonder like as a young queer person, when, like, when was the first time that that happened for you, Shelby? Like specifically with the book or mm -hmm. yeah I don't know not a they're... burned cd yeah <laughs> yeah uh, uh i don't know if the, i can't think of any books that specifically had queer characters but there were some that like yeah queer coded or looked like they could have been queer like enid from like ghost world or i don't know like the powerful women in like love and rockets i was always like man those women look Hot. <laughs> uh, I guess. I guess that I don't. I can't really think of any that like specifically were gay. Yeah, and talking about like queer coded comics, I did this deep dive in to the history of queer coding in like Superman I'm and so Batman. <laughs> I know it's a very deep hole to fall down. I was like, there's a rabbit hole for you. Yeah. Yeah, it was very interesting, uh, and it. It's nice that we're somewhat beyond that point, right? Where we can have out queer characters in graphic novels, in comics, in books. A lot. A lot. Like, there's so many. Um, it's really amazing how accessible it is now. Because I remember um, when I first found Boy Meets Boy, I stumbled across it on accident. It wasn't something I was searching for and I think that it's a lot easier to stumble across things now which is really great for young people yeah um and I think it's uh really interesting um I don't know if anyone listens to the making gay history podcast I don't know Shelby if you've ever listened to it that sounds um, interesting it's great right? like that's going on my list now yeah uh, it's awesome um I was I'm a huge podcast person, so obviously I'm looking for queer podcasts. Um, the man who does the podcast, Mark, I forget his last name, but it started because he published a book called Making Gay History, where he did all these uh, interviews with uh, queer rights activists, Sylvia Rivera, Barbara Giddings, uh, so on and so forth. And then he made the podcast where he's playing the interviews. Um, and so uh, you hear 
the actual voices and all the the like hearing the people in real time and it's amazing and something that always struck me um was I, I kind of expected, given the time period, because it's way, way back when in the times they lived through, that uh, a lot of the common issues that would be cropping up would be, you know, like self-acceptance or, or you know, struggles with family. Um, and of course, there's plenty of plenty of that going on. But what uh, struck me was how the the kind of the main thing for all of them, like the main negative was at first, they're like, I thought I was all alone. Like, I thought I was the only one. Or, like, I was different, but I didn't quite understand how. And so I think that's one of the fascinating things when you find these books with either queer-coded or queer characters is, um, one, of course, it's the, like, okay, I'm not alone. There's other people like me. But I, I sometimes feel people take for granted that queer people, like, automatically know they're queer or automatically know how they're queer and sometimes they don't they just know they're different and it it can be finding that right comic or that right book where you it's like looking in a mirror for the first time and you're like oh okay that's that's what that is oh and even after the first one like i not to bring up maya kobabe in this episode but maya kobabe um reading their autobio comic about being genderqueer like i cried reading that because i was just like oh my god you've put it all on the page like that's that's a real experience that a lot of people have that i have experienced um and so it's still because as we get more queer comics we're getting more life experiences we're getting more diverse queer discussions and it's it's really exciting um it's really really pretty and beautiful and i just love it it makes me happy and then we cannot talk about marvel and shade I don't know if any of you are aware that a couple of years ago, Marvel made a drag queen superhero character. Oof. Her name was Shade. She had a fan. It was very bad. <laughs> it was very, like, as bad as you are thinking, it's that bad. So bad representation is still happening, but it's it's getting smaller and smaller. Um, and it mostly is just Marvel and DC, really. Like They're, they're the ones who are still doing it. Everybody else has kind of gotten the idea of like, wait, let the queer people tell the story, let them show what's right, and don't just pull a Stan Lee. <laughs> so on a related note to that in comics and representation, Shelby, did did comics kind of help you like on your journey of like figuring yourself out? Or was that mostly just kind of a, a separate thing that you like helped you find joy or... Yeah, I think it specifically just sort of helped me find joy. Um, I I've talked about it in the book, but I have a queer aunt and a queer uncle, both my my mom's siblings, um, and so just knowing that they existed helped me be like, oh, that's why I'm a little weird. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but you know, writing the comic helped me talk about my uncle Doug, who died of AIDS in the in like 1990, I think. Um, because it forced me to like talk to my family about it because my family doesn't talk about it. It's very, you know, still mm -hmm. an open wound. And then not to mention the fact that he was gay too. Um, it sort of helped me, you know, open that up, that door open, open to my aunt who was very happy to share images. And, you know, he, the, in the very beginning of the book, there's a scan of 
a San Antonio Express News article about him living with AIDS, which is really cool because um, I didn't know that existed. And so she sent me a scan like an, on an email one day and I was like, what the hell is this? You know, and I was very excited to open it because I was like, oh, my God. I, like I there and it he like talked so intimately about like drug use and like being gay and living in these like this AIDS house where he took care of other people with AIDS while living with AIDS. And so it was really cool to have to feel like I had like closure a little bit and then also help me solidify like my own feelings of being queer. Wow. Just so my my original training is as an archivist, so anything like to do with history and historical documents, I'm just like, wow. I think it's because I just to have a physical connection with the past makes it feel more real. Yeah, I agree. And even just like looking up like San Antonio queer culture, like you know when I was doing the book was really interesting too. Did you uh, ever talk with Melissa Golke at UTSA? I. Uh, I think so we bring her up because she's our favorite um we do on, love her <laughs> yeah we've worked with her for another episode and she's just she's amazing if it's like if you did work with her you should definitely like look at her blog it's it's great yeah i looked at so many things it's hard to remember what i looked at <laughs> like the bibliography in the back they were like this is too big you have to cut it down so what's in the back of the book the bibliography is is probably like 10 percent of like all the research i did how dare wow. they? I know. <laughs> because they were like, we can't print 20 pages of bibliography. And I was like, why not? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so if anybody wants it, I'll, I'll send it to you. <laughs> I put all of these in MLA format. You are going to print them. I did. <laughs> oh. I'm so sorry. Oh. <laughs> That's, I, I enjoyed that part of it. I, I really like doing research. So, But MLA formatting. That's... Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> I don't think you liked that part. No. <laughs> research is fun. The details, like... Uh, no, no, yeah. No, no, no. In your research, was there anything you learned about San Antonio queer history that surprised you? Or I'm, I'm sure there was a lot that you didn't know, but anything that you were like, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, going back to my Uncle Doug, he, um, the San Antonio AIDS Foundation, he was friends with the guy who started it. Um, his name is like Big Bear, Brother Bear, something like that. Um, and they had these AIDS houses where they... Uh, Doug helped them set those up and they would take care of people with AIDS and usually the people who lived there also had AIDS. And then I also did a story, a comic for the Nib, maybe two or three years ago um, called Fairies Fiasco, where I talked about San Antonio Country. I think that's what it was called. It was a gay club that was here yes. in the 70s. Yeah. And yes. it's, you know, not here anymore, sadly. Um, and they did this like giant protest because police kept coming in and they like staged this like play where they were fairies and and they were like you know forget the police they because the police were like raiding them constantly so it was cool to know about like san antonio country and i i think you know even just researching that i was like i wonder if my uncle doug went there i bet he did definitely what a cool guy right oh yeah it reminds me of this older gay man i used to work with and he has passed away now but he used to tell me about being a young gay man during the AIDS epidemic and also living in AIDS houses where they were taking care of each other and um, that in order to get the drugs they needed for treatment, sometimes that they'd have to break into their friends' houses after they passed away to get those drugs to redistribute to the communities because they couldn't access them through doctor's visits and stuff. 
it's just such a powerful piece of history that I feel like we don't talk about enough, uh, especially like young gay people. I don't know if they know that. I, I would love to see some more stuff published on that so they could learn a little bit more of, you know, where things were. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because we kind of lost a generation. And so the people that would be giving those interviews aren't here. Um, and so it's, I think that's been, I've, I've talked with um, a friend of mine about this, how he feels like a lot of younger gay men don't have a connection to their own history because there's this gap of people who died. Um, and it's, it's rough. Um, talking about archival work, like that yeah. would be, that would be a really interesting archival project. And, uh, and I mean, there are materials there. There are several archives, of course, throughout the U.S., but the, the other part of it is um, getting, getting people to teach it and getting people to, to write about it. Because um, actually, me and my friends talk about this all the time in terms of, the, of queer history. It's like everyone, everyone knows about Stonewall, and everyone is like aware the AIDS crisis is a thing that happened. But I feel very few people and yeah, very few of the younger queer generation really know what it was like and and the the huge impact that it had. Um, I do have hope that, you know, that will eventually start to change after all. Um, I mean, we had the that TV series. It's a sin. I mean, that took place in London, but it was about the beginning and the 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 development of the AIDS crisis there. Um and then, uh, and I feel now as more books are being published, um, it's it's a matter of distributing that knowledge. The knowledge is, I feel, now really being there. Now it's open for discussion. It It is, I think, a, a real shame that, you know, of course, as you said, we lost a generation. Like the the personal connections, it's, it's all going to be secondhand because of the nature of what happened. Um, but I think it's also important not just to teach the history uh, so that we have it, but also to continue to destigmatize it um, moving forward, because there is still a lot of that going on. Yeah. New graphic novel idea cooking around. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I was actually just about to say, like, I think that's probably why there are so many autobiographical queer comics, because how else are we going to get our story out there is, well... We can yeah. write it in comic form because that's a lot of fun. And then that's easy to get out into people's brains as the, the comic format's just a little bit easier to read sometimes for people. Yeah. I've actually had a lot of like older people be like, this is the first comic I've ever read. And I actually really, I really like this format. And, I, and they were like, it's really easy to digest. It's not overwhelming because they're not like, oh my God, there's 300 pages of text that I have to read, you know? And they read it like in a night and they're like, why have I never read a comic before? Yeah, you know, That's I have amazing. a lot of parents who are like, my my kid won't read. What what do I get them to do to read? I'm like, first of all, let them read what they want. Secondly, have they read a graphic novel or a comic? Because that's, like you're saying, it's not it, as overwhelming as like a 300-page novel. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like that's a really great introduction into reading. And there's so much out there in graphic novel form, comic mm -hmm. form. There's something for everyone. Um, so yeah, I, it's like one of my favorite things to read for sure, because I finish it. I'm like, wow, I finished that quick. <laughs> Which is unfortunate <laughs> because it takes like yeah. forever to draw it. <laughs> but if it makes you feel better, if I really like it, I usually buy a copy and then I reread it. Like, Oh yeah, yeah. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I actually read Queer as I'll Get Out um, 
And then my baby spilled coffee on it. No. Brand new coffee on my brand new book. Um, but it was beautiful. I have a coffee-stained copy of your book. And I, I, it's beautiful. And I plan on reading it again for sure. I actually um, love that you have coffee on it. That's, yeah. that's what I want. <laughs> that's, that's a story. Yeah, I'm waiting for the day that somebody's like, I found this in a half price books. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> You're right. It's like, I've made it. Yes. It's a real book. <laughs> <laughs> it's been dog-eared. It's been marked and highlighted. That's what I want. Yes. yes. <laughs> I want pages mm. ripped out. <laughs> Uh, to our listeners, please don't do that at the library. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not the library. Copy. That's your own books. Don't do that to ours. Caveat. Hold on. <laughs> it's for sale at Nowhere Books on Broadway. Oh, nice. I love that place. Love that place. Yeah, yeah I, love I was going to ask Shelby. I have a few of your zines that my wife has bought for me just throughout the years, but like, if people are interested in getting your work outside of you know the book, where can they get your zines from? I know that you have a shop on your website, which we will make available for folks. Um, but I know you have more that's not on there. So where can people find those things? Yeah. Uh, ShelbyChriswell.com. I also have a gum road where I upload all of my mini comics as PDFs and they're like usually either free or like a dollar. So, and that's on my website too. So, but I mean, physical copies, I sell some on my website and then some at like zine fests and stuff. I need to check to see if we have some in our zine collection. I actually meant to ask you I that think before. There is. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure we must I mean, have. I cannot if, imagine if we do cover not. Cover art for the Zine Fest. It would be. It would be bad if we didn't. I, I'm. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for that. Um, I think there are some here, yeah. and then I think there's some at the in at the uh, UTSA Library. Yes. Cool. That's where Melissa Golke is. Yeah. No. She um, must have been the one who maybe bought them. <laughs> I yeah. I that would make sense. Um, so I, I want to kind of like turn the conversation to something more fun. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a question that came up when Shannon and I went to a high school and we were working with their pride group there on campus. Uh, their icebreaker was if your life was a reality TV show, what would it be called and what would be the content it's hard right it's a surprisingly difficult question but those teens man they were like we got answers we got answers oh Uh, yeah i bet they did (laughs) trying to think uh yeah there's probably something involved with the banjo um i can't think of what it'd be called Uh, my brain just keeps saying yikes (laughs) (laughs) it's the title (laughs) but i have no idea what would happen in it (laughs) Could It'd it probably be... be one of those ones are just sort of like walking around and talking. And playing the banjo. Yeah. Like a, <laughs> but like like an Andy Milanakis sort of way where I'm just kind of annoying people. And they're like, maybe don't talk to me. <laughs> I would watch. This, this does sound like great entertainment. You know, I... Andy Milanakis existed so long ago. I know he still exists, but... <laughs> Like, his show, and why do those songs still pop in my head? Like, I sing them to my baby sometimes. I don't know. Oh, the, the why is song? Oh, yes. they get stuck in my head every day. Oh. Like, that's why, why I brought it up. Why is this song in my head 15 years later? Oh, yeah, teens now have no idea who Andy Mullenakis is. Because we're now at that age where we have long-term memory and our short-term memory is terrible, which is why I can remember the theme song to a kid's show that I watched when I was six, but I don't remember what I walked into the room to do. 
Yeah, I don't even remember what I ate yesterday. <laughs> Lisa? I think you should sing the song because I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know That's if it's so under sad. copyright. Oh, yeah. So okay. Like Afterwards. 10 seconds or less. <laughs> yes, after. <laughs> Wow. Um, yeah, like specifically the like the one part that's like, I got peas on my head, but don't call me a pea head. <laughs> I sing that to my baby a lot <laughs> when I'm changing his diaper. Something triggers. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Beautiful. I want to hear the rest later. Later. That's um, that's a different episode. <laughs> okay. So moving forward, do you have any? new plans or new things that you'd like to do um, involving your work? Uh, I am working on a comic now with my friend Matthew. It's not a queer book. Um, There is a queer character, but it's about ghosts in a school and a janitor. That's all I can say. I love Um, it. I'm already sold. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Um, Lots of uh, fart jokes in it. It's it's, uh, YA, so lots of fart jokes. but yeah, maybe maybe a AIDS history comic or something. That was an interesting idea, cooking around. <laughs> Just I, make sure to to you know put acknowledgments to inquiries in the front. Oh yeah. You, oh definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so people can open up and go, who? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this is kind of an odd question, but as far as San Antonio goes, like. Where's your, like, go-to place for food here? I'm really calling it out here, but I have to. Yeah. Uh, I love Best Quality Daughter. Really? Pearl. Yeah. I don't love the Pearl, but I love Best Quality Daughter. And then, you know, they own that ramen place in the Pearl, too, which is closing, but their food is so good. Is that what's – I think I've tried the ramen. It's closing? Tenko ramen? Yeah. Tenko ramen. Or Il Forno. You ever had Il Forno pizza? No. Yeah, very good pizza. Very good hot sauce. That's new to me. Okay, I have to add that. I follow restaurants and stuff on social media to remind myself to try them later, and I follow Best Quality Daughter just to look at their food. Oh, yeah. Oh, and it's gorgeous inside, too. Yes. Yeah. That's my two cents about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I had to. I mean, it's San Antonio. We love our food, and, you know... At least you didn't ask about tacos. Well, I mean, that's every day, girl. <laughs> also, we we don't need to start any fights on the podcast. <laughs> uh, but, um, dang it, now I'm thinking about tacos. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> tacos are life. Sorry. That is not, okay. Okay, fair. That is, that is very fair. Um, I have to ask, so uh, what would... What was it like, you know, leaving San Antonio, going to Mexico, and then coming back? Like, did it feel different? I, I asked because, though, I, I didn't go far. I went to college up in Austin, but it, it had a very different feel for me from when I left, which was back in the dark ages of 2008, uh, and then <laughs> came back here. It was It was a different city. Oh yeah, I feel the same way. Like when I, I felt like when I was younger, before I left for college, I was I felt like there was nothing to do. Right. Yeah, nothing to do. And then I came back and I was like, wow, there's so many cool things. And I, that's I, I, I wouldn't mean to stay in San Antonio, but I just kind of have because it, like, there's so many new things to do. Yeah. It's a pretty great city. I 
didn't grow up here. So when I moved here, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much good food. I'm never leaving. <laughs> that's very fair, actually. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you go to a new place, that's like the first thing. It's like, what is there to eat around here? Um, but um, yeah, and I do find it very interesting because um, while San Antonio does have a ways to go, um, in it is more queer friendly than I think people believe. Uh, in fact, uh, my stepfather, he, um, uh, once he retired, um, cause he gets to do that as he reminds me constantly, um, uh, started volunteering with a program that, you know, helps kids read and all that. And so of course they go through diversity and sensitivity trainings. And he was saying he had, uh, you know, a transgender instructor, um, talking about, uh, queer, you know, interacting with queer youth and all that. And uh, they said, in fact, that they, San Antonio actually has a lot of those people that are requested by other Texas major cities to go and run workshops and um, teach classes. Um, and I find that, first of all, wonderful, but second of all, very interesting because I I think when would people would imagine that San Antonio is not the first place in Texas that would spring to mind. But... It'll be our secret, so listeners don't don't spread the word. We like San Antonio where it is. I think I read a statistic. I don't remember how many years ago, but it was like San Antonio has the most like same sex parents out of like the whole country, and I was like, "What, San Antonio?" What? Yeah, I don't know if that statistic still holds true today, but I was just like, "San Antonio of all places." That seems so weird because you know, like growing up here, I'm like, everybody's yeah. mean to me. <laughs> That's wild. I wonder if it has something to do with like us being a medical city and then a military city i think so there's just better access i don't know how interesting i, I would presume so because i mean we we have historically been a conservative city but again yeah as you said as a medical city as a military city with so many people coming in the need for that and the need for that understanding and the building of that community i wonder if that has led to that to, to like having that those kinds of resources available maybe we may never know the world may never know <laughs> in a world where <laughs> <laughs> well i think this has been a lovely time and Absolutely. thank you so much for dealing with us going on every tangent we can find oh it was great <laughs> Um, and thank you for joining us. It's amazing. Again, if you want to find Shelby's work, you can check our library shelves, but also you can go to shelbychriswell.com or Nowhere Bookshop. We support them too. Um, and that's going to be it for us today. So thank you for joining us. I hope you laughed. I hope you got something to think about. And I hope that you keep asking questions. So until next time, queers. Queers.